you all know Janet Crothers as a um, very hardworking and caring children's minister. Done. It's fine. Um, but I suspect many of you don't know her children. Now, some of you may be contemporaries with her children. Um, I knew Janet, met Janet before she married, and I've watched her and John um, raise three beautiful girls. Um, I've asked her specifically to come and talk about one child uh, because there were some particular challenges um, which I think she and John handled extremely well. The, the proof of that is in the pudding. The proof of that is in the, the young woman that Julie is today. And, and I, you might not have, obviously you don't have exactly the same challenges to deal with with your child. Um, but we've talked a lot about how difficult it is to um, let our children um, make their way and stumble and skin their knees and um, deal with the consequences. We, we, we know we don't want to be helicopter parents, but boy, the temptation's very real. And uh, I'm just going to leave that with you, okay? My village. I'm thrilled to be here. I will say it's been a little strange since I um, left my position here at Otter Creek a little over a month ago. I feel a little out of sorts on a Sunday morning, not doing my job that I have done for so long. So it feels weird. It's glad I'm happy to be here this morning and have a purpose for being here. So thank you. Um, and I haven't heard all the wonderful things that I know you have received from Gail and her teaching, um, but I completely trust that she has given you great guidance and has had wonderful things to share with you. Uh, so hopefully everything I share this morning will go right along with what she said. If I say something that might sound contradictory to anything Gail said, just go with her. Excuse me. I got a little something going on, but um, I'm all right. Uh, Gail didn't ask me to teach this morning or to come in and talk to you because I am a perfect parent. For sure, my kids could tell you that very readily that I, I make lots and lots of mistakes. Um, but she thinks I handled some challenges and, and taught um, some things. But I just want to say that I truly believe our kids come to us as is. In other words, so much of who they are as people, they already are before I even hold them for the first time in my arms. So you might be giving God or me credit for some things that God is really responsible for. Um, and it's only by his grace and mercy that John and I and our three girls survived childhood at all. Um, but enough said about that. I want to give you a little insight first um, about my story because I think um, we all need to be intentional parents. In fact, that's a great book if you've never read it, Intentional Parenting by Doug Fields. It's fabulous. Um, we have to be. We have to decide what's important and then take that and work really hard teaching that to our children. That's our job. However, 
I think our kids absorb a lot. So they learn from us whether we want, whether that's a message we're trying to teach them or not, they're gonna pick up from us. And so I think knowing a little bit about um, my story will help see how um, we dealt with our children. Uh, it was July of 1980. I'm aging myself. If y'all are good at math, you'll be able to figure it out right quick, but oh well. Um, July of 1980, my, we lived in Minnesota with my family. I have three sisters and we all lived in Minnesota and mom and dad were moving to Oregon where they still live today. Um, they moved and they took two of my sisters with me. Dad had arranged for me and my older sister by one year, year and a half, to stay in the house that we had all lived in as a family for um, an extra month. And so me and my sister, I was, um, well anyway, we lived in the house for an extra month. Then in September, she went off to college right there in town and I packed my bags and got on a Nashville-bound plane and came here to go to Lipscomb. I was 17 at the time, and that's not because I was um, extra smart and graduated early, but way back then, people didn't do pre-first and you didn't hold anybody back, and the cutoff where we lived was December. So if your birthday was before December, you went to first grade, whether you were five or whatever. Anyway. Um, so, you might look at that and say, my parents should be shot for child neglect. They left a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old living in a house alone. There was a little mishap, too. I nearly burnt the place down. Um, <laughs> back in that day, we did fondue. Y'all, you know, you even know what that is. It's a pot with oil and you, you, so... It was my boyfriend, which should tell you another thing my parents were not real smart about. A 17-year-old at home with her 18-year-old, and they each had boyfriends. But anyway, um, I wanted to fix fondue, and I um, thought, I'm not a great cook to this day, but I thought that the oil is supposed to be boiling, so I kept turning it up on the stove before I was going to put it with the sterno and the fondue pot thing. And it, whew, yeah, but I didn't. I scorched the ceiling, but I didn't burn the house down. Anyway, uh, that's just, that's certainly not how I took my girls to school. It was a big deal when they went off to college, and, and um, I did not send them by themselves with one suitcase. But that, that was my experience. And in my mom's defense, that's just not what you did back then. I don't. I don't I think things have changed a bit but my point being I was rather independent because I had to be that uh, that's just the way mom was she loved me dearly and my sisters but she just kind of threw us out there and uh, when I got to Nashville I figured it out um, I um, found a ride to Kmart at the corner of Harding Place and Nolensville Road because I thought I needed some little shelves for my closet be to put my stuff in. So anyway, you just figured it out. So 
Um, now I want to tell you a little bit about my third daughter. Um, because that kind of describes her life. She just kind of had to figure things out for herself. Because uh, I didn't know how to teach her. I'd had two other daughters. You'd think I would have figured it out. But I didn't because, you see, Julie was born a little bit different from all of us. Uh, Julie was born without a left arm. And I'm going to stand over here so I can push this button. I got just a few pictures. Uh, I know, wasn't she cute? Um, it was my third pregnancy, and it seemed normal, just like the other two. I figured out, we figured out that it was a girl, and truth be told, I was very excited that it was a third girl. Uh, I think it was interesting that the ultrasound that we had that could tell us her, the sex of the child, but didn't notice that she was missing an arm but actually I credit God for that because I think I would have been exceedingly nervous knowing before she was born knowing that something was wrong or different um, but not having her to hold and to see that all it was was just a missing arm so I think it was it was a blessing it was also uh, we had a second ultrasound much later to help her um, she was breached, and so a second ultrasound was used to help her then manipulate it so she would not be breached anymore. Um, and that didn't show the missing arm either. Because as soon as she was born, I was very concerned what else is wrong, what else is missing, what, what has happened. Um, but our doctor, y'all, he was a huge, a huge blessing again one I credit God for putting in our life. Um, he was a different doctor than the one that, our, that delivered our first two daughters. Um, he was fine. The first, the first doctor was fine. No problem. But I was induced with both of them. And I just wanted this third pregnancy, probably my last, to be different. So um, I changed doctors to my, my good friend, Laura Burkhart, had um, a doctor that she really liked, so I, I went to him, and in the course of, you know, you see the doctor quite often when you're pregnant, so in the course of that time, I got to know him, and he shared with us that um, he had a daughter born uh, with some significant medical issues, and so when Julie was born, and he very matter-of-factly just said, oh, we have an amniotic band, and acted like it was no big deal. I had no idea what that was. I'd never heard of it in my life, but it was very clear that she only had the one hand. Her arm stops. You'll be able to see in some other pictures that it stops about right here. Um, but he was so calm about that he wasn't panicked he didn't rush her off somewhere else he just and then he reminded us that God doesn't give you anything you can't handle and coming from him when I knew that he had some significant issues and you know the hardest things I think for us to deal with is when something's happening with our children we can handle whatever we have to but when it's our children that are having to deal with something hard, 
That's when it's super hard for us. Anyway, um, the doctor was a huge blessing. Um, and I think he, he started us on the right track of realizing that Julie was different, but this was nothing that we couldn't handle, and so that's just what we do. Right from the beginning, I knew, I knew we could handle it, and I knew we had a great big God, and so together we could, we'll just do whatever needs to be done. Um, it was a challenge not to imagine the worst. I remember, literally, she was, what, two days old? walking out of the hospital and in the waiting room there were little kids playing you know we're walking out to go get um, in the car and take this baby home and there's kids in the waiting room playing and i'm thinking to myself my baby will never do that which of course is ridiculous julie plays with all kinds of things and always has but in my mind i'm imagining this difference for her being such a big deal um, and the reality much worse than what, what it actually was. But being her mom was a challenge at times because I, I didn't know what it was like to have one arm. Uh, how do I teach her to tie her shoes when I don't know how to tie shoes with only one hand? She can do that really well, by the way. Not quite sure how she learned, but it was not from me. Um, I remember um, one time again, uh, Laura Burkhart and I were such good friends and her second daughter is just like six months older than Julie. So one time going over to their house and um, Julie was still just a little baby and, and I got to the door and it had storm door back then. It was not really popular these days, but so Virginia Bain is sitting right there and she reaches her hands up like this for me to hold her because she loves me. Um, and I just teared up and thought, my baby girl will never do that for me. Again, I was imagining scenarios in my head that were not worth spending time on. Um, when Julie was just a few weeks old, I got a phone call. And it was one of those calls where you remember exactly what you were doing and what was happening in your life. Um, I was eating a bowl of Fruit Loops and I was irritated, uh, I thought, because my cereal was going to get soggy and it was my favorite, but it really had nothing to do with the soggy Fruit Loops. I was irritated because this person that I'd never met before on the, on the phone was making me accept something I didn't really want to accept. You know, as long as I had this little baby and, you know, you keep them wrapped up most of the time anyway, it wasn't very obvious um, that she didn't have a hand and I didn't have to think about it. But this lady called, Julie couldn't have been more than four weeks, three or four weeks old, and she started sharing with me her story of her daughter who also only had one arm different circumstances but the same thing and she started sharing with me some of her resources what they had done and their story um it actually 
that phone call was the beginning of a really sweet relationship between our family and theirs. And um, it was a great resource for us. When Julie was five months old, we went to Myoelectric Arms of Houston that this woman had told us about. And she got <clears throat> her first prosthesis. You can see it, it's her left hand. So it looks like a baby, baby's hand. We went someplace here in Nashville and they wanted to put like a, something that didn't look like a hand on her. And I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with that. And a lot of people didn't want us to do anything. They said, in fact, we got some pushback from a lot of people that it would almost be wrong to do something, but we felt like the best thing for her was to have a prosthesis. Maybe that was because, again, I was trying to, you know, your child has a problem and you want to fix it. Um, it was during that tr trip to Houston to get her arm that I realized um, this wasn't going to fix the problem. Julie was forever going to be without a left hand. And I think it was then that I truly accepted. Now, right from the beginning, I think we accepted to a degree, but it was at that time that I truly got it. This is, this is going to be life for us. I'm not going to be able to fix this by traveling to Houston and getting the best that is available because the best just really isn't all that great compared to the hands that God can make. Um, and I'm so glad that I was able to accept it then when Julie was too little to know that I had issues with it because I think it helped her. I remember when she was three years old, she, uh, one night at prayers, we were getting ready for, the, for bedtime and, and saying our prayers together, and she said, um, uh, all right, wait just a minute. I don't want to leave out something that's, that is important. Okay. Oh, I wish I had accepted it like, like our other daughters had. Jamie, who was our oldest and was six at the time that Julie was was born right from the get-go in the hospital. She said, just plain as day, never, never an upsetness that her little sister was not right, which some people might think. Right from the beginning, Jamie said, Mommy, the first time she held her, Mommy, that arm that didn't grow all the way is poking at me. Just from the beginning, it was normal and natural for her. Um, but over the years, there were challenges. Like that one night I was telling you about, I was getting ready, uh, getting Julie ready for bed, and we were saying her prayers, and uh, she prayed. She asked God to make her arm grow. And I said, well, honey, I, I don't think God is going to do that. And she looked right at me, and she said, but, Mommy, God can do anything. Like, bless your little heart. You're right. He can. But I don't think he's going to answer that prayer. I said, Julie, God made you special and he made you without an arm. And and he has big plans for you. I don't think he's going to change that right now. All she said to me was, sometimes I wish God hadn't made me so special. She was four at the time. And uh, she repeated that frequently. 
over the years. Sometimes I wish God hadn't made me so special, but I love the fact that she saw herself as special, even at a young age. Um, there were times I wish he hadn't made her so special. She had a, um, a myo-electric arm when she was seven months old. Uh, Oops, oh, one. Oh, well. Anyway, um, she's all there. It is. Yeah. You can kind of see it. It, um, it would open and close like this. Uh, and so it was mechanical. The others were kind of like a doll hand that didn't move and you just put it on. But this one, it had a glove that went over the mechanical part, and that's the kind of arm she used from the time she was seven months old till the time she was, um, I don't know, uh, middle school. Anyway, you had to put a glove over the mechanics. It didn't look all that beautiful, but it was functional, and she used it all the time. But it was super hard. So there were times I wish God hadn't made her so special because it was so hard to get that glove over that mechanical arm. And I would, if I cursed, I would have cursed then a lot. Uh, and I'd have a little pity party thinking, why do I have to deal with this? I guarantee you no other mom I know is having to deal with this issue. Um, but it was just a fact and, and we dealt with it. Um, I tried not to intervene for Julie. Uh, because I realized that I didn't know or understand what her capabilities were, what, what she was going through. So I, I wouldn't be very helpful. Um, I did ask her ballet director one time. She took dance because her big sister did. And I remember asking her, Julie wanted to try out for a special company class. And I remember going to that director and saying, should I discourage her from doing that? And they, that precious lady looked at me and said, why would you do that? And I went, well, because she doesn't have an arm and most dancers do. And she's like, she'll be fine. And Julie auditioned and she made it to this company class and spent many years, many, many years of her school years at home dancing and loved every minute of it. So, um, there was the time when she brought me a newspaper clipping to the, for the Nashville Ballet. They were holding auditions for the Nutcracker every year at Christmas. And she's like, I want to try out. And I truthfully, y'all had no idea how big a deal the arm would be. Or uh, I didn't even know what her dance ability was. You know, would they say, well, thanks anyway, but you don't have what it takes. You know, I just didn't know. But she really wanted to so so we did and and um she tried out and i prayed hard and um god answered that prayer and she she was in the nutcracker for many years and um it was great there was just not a problem uh it's the same way at school one year one time in middle school she went and uh, i went to the teacher parent night you know where you just go and they tell you what their day is like and the teacher said at that night she said and Julie is the best typist in the class how could that be 
how can she type better than the other students that had two hands? But, but she was. So, did, did I teach her to be a good, well, there she is without her arm. You can kind of see how far it goes down. It's really cool, y'all. There's, you can see the development. There are actually four fingers and a thumb that just didn't, didn't quite develop. They say it's like a, the circulation was tied off with something called an amniotic band, and so it just doesn't grow after that happens. It just, like a rubber band, cuts off the circulation, and, and it didn't grow after that. But you can see where they started. Anyway, so did I teach her? to be a, a hard worker? I don't know. Did I teach her independence? I certainly didn't teach her how to type one-handed because I didn't know. Uh, when she was 16 and it was time to learn to drive, oh my goodness, that was a horrible process with the older two. I mean, you're just taking your life into your own hands or their hands worse, and you can't act like it. You have to act like you have confidence in them because if you don't have confidence in them, they're not gonna have confidence in themselves that they can do it. So you have to fake it really well when you're riding in that passenger side and they're driving. But with Julie, that was a whole, I, I didn't know. Would she be able to drive? How would that work? You know. So I decided we'd let the professionals handle it. And we, I called up Brentwood Drivers Training and um, she gave up every Saturday for a month to go to driver's training. She didn't love that part. And then it was time for the behind the wheel. And the nicest instructor came to the house and picked her up. And they went off in the car. And I started praying. And the instructor took her to an auto, auto supply store and bought her one of those little knobs that you can put. So, so with one hand, you know, she can make those turns really well. I didn't know. But he was so nice, he wouldn't even let me reimburse him for it. And I think it cost like 20 bucks. Anyway, um, she drives, drives well. She's actually uh, an Uber driver in San Francisco. Uh, she is smart, though. She doesn't drive at night. She's only the, an Uber driver in the mornings for the commute. Um, so she doesn't get drunk people throwing up in her car, um, usually. Uh, I, I couldn't resist, though. I did ask her one time. I said, has ever, anybody ever gotten into your car and given you strange looks and been a little bit nervous about having a one-armed driver? And she said, not that I noticed. So, I don't know. Um, throughout Julie's life, we have met many other families. You know, um, does anybody know of a child with one arm? Fabulous. Not many. And we were that way. Until Julie was born, I didn't know of anybody. But then, you know, you just kind of get connected. And so we have had lots of, um, lots of people get in touch with us. And, and it's been great. We had one family, uh, the, the family that called us that day and interrupted my Fruit Loops, had stuck with us for several years. And we learned much from her and, and her experiences. Uh, hopefully, we've been able to help some other people that are uh, younger than Julie. One day, we met with a, um, a grown woman. She had her arm amputated as an adult, so totally different experience. But um, 
we met and she had a thousand questions for Julie, asking her all these things. And the most important question she had was, how, how do you put on your necklaces? And I, I was imagining Julie would say, well, I just don't wear them. I mean, you know, because I didn't know. And right there in Starbucks, Julie showed her how she, um, I, I assume it's a smaller necklace, this go over my head, but she would hold this in her mouth like this, and then she would go like that. Clearly, she's better than I am. And hook it, and, and put her necklaces on that way. So, so, so simple, but that lady was so thrilled to know. Um, and it was such a blessing for us to be able to share with other people. Uh, of course, I didn't know how Julie had figured it out. She just had. And that's kind of how she did her whole life, just figuring out things. Um, my father was a university president uh, for much of my growing up years. So when it came time for school, there was, wasn't a question about will you go to college or not. It was just where you're going to go to school. Um, and that's a stressful process. Go, going through it with the older two, figuring out where to go and how to pay for it and what to study and all that. But with Julie, I really had no idea. Dance had become very important to her and she wanted to go to a school where she could continue her dance training, which I'm a Church Christ girl from way back, so dance is, let's just say I'm not uh, good at it at all. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know how to encourage her, how to help her, where to look, a college education was important, but I didn't know if she was any good. I mean, I thought so, but I'm her mother, so what do I know? Um, anyway, she figured out, did a bunch of research, figured out where she wanted to go, Elon University, and um, she went. In May of that year, she went to London to audition for a dance company. It was her dream company, she told me, Canduco. Uh, for her perspective, that audition went, re went really well. Um, she was not asked to join the company, which was really good because she still had a year of school, but um, she thought it was great. In February of her senior year, she um, auditioned for a company in Oakland, California, and um, she flew out there and assured me it was fine. Oakland is not known for being a really safe environment, if you know anything about that. I didn't at the time. I'm from California, but I didn't know that Oakland was particularly dangerous. But she said, don't worry, Mom, I've got pepper spray. It'll be fine. Um, I prayed through the worry. She assured me it would be fine. Um, and two weeks before graduation, she was offered a salaried position with that company and very excited about it. She graduated with a fine arts degree in dance choreography and dance performance, and then she went off to California. Uh, she figured it out. Um, I, don't, I don't know how. how. To this day, I don't know how she lives. It was a salaried position, which is great for dancers, because usually they're contract, you know, one job and then the next. But I didn't mention that that salary was not very significant, especially for living in California. So I don't know how she does it, but, but she manages. So you might, oh, let me show you a couple more pictures. Um, 
these are her recent dance pictures and she said mom don't be Instagramming them. I didn't tell her she didn't have any worries. That was not gonna be a problem. Uh, Cause they're not supposed to be released until July, but I told her I figured it'd be okay. Um, so you might look at that and say, it's a success story, but it's no more of a success than any of the rest of ours. Uh, her success is that she loves the Lord and she will spend eternity with him one day. That's a picture of her baptism here at Otter Creek. Um, her gift is that she embraced who she is and how he made her. She didn't waste time trying to be something or someone else. And I, as her parent, and I speak not just for me, but for John and I, hopefully didn't stand in her way too far. Um, so through living with Julie, I learned a few things, trying to put them to words. Uh, this is what I've come up with. You've got to set an example for who you want your children to be. You need to think about what you want them to become. I think of uh, Jesus and his disciples. Now granted, we're not told everything. We've got four Gospels that record Jesus' interactions with his disciples, but I'm sure there's lots that was left out. But the fact that it was left out probably shows us that whatever it was that was not recorded was not that important. I believe the disciples learned from Jesus mostly because he lived with them and they had constant interaction and the disciples got to see Jesus. They got to see his character reflected in everything he did and they witnessed miracle after miracle. So Jesus set an example for them. I think you have to give your children tools, but you have to let them figure out how to use it. It's so tempting and it still is to this day. I want to tell Julie, Lots. She probably wouldn't listen to me at this point anyway. Um, but you can't tell them how to do it. You have to give them the tools that they need, and then you have to give them the opportunity to figure it out. Remember the um, feeding of the 5,000? Do you remember what Jesus said? He told, he told his disciples when they came up to him and said, Oh, you've got to send these people away. It's late. They're hungry. And Jesus just said, well, then you feed them. They probably looked at each other like, how in the world can we do that? But they had the tools. Jesus had given them the tools. Jesus had shown them by example that his power is mighty and he can do anything. Why wasn't there immediate responses? Okay, can you make the food and we'll pass it out? I think it was Philip, wasn't it, that came with the, with the loaves and fishes? At least he had, he had something. He didn't know, he didn't understand how those loaves and fishes could be multiplied to feed the whole thing, but he knew Jesus could do something. Um, so let them, give them the tools they need and let them figure it out. Accept the truth. That's hard as parents. It's hard 
as a group of parents, they're such a huge blessing. I love seeing nearly every chair in this room filled, and I know there's lots more parents at, this, at, at Otter Creek and this family of faith. What a blessing to be raising your children together. But it can be hard, too, because there can be comparisons, and there can be... Um, It's hard to be optimistic when your child's capabilities are not what someone else's child's are and when they're differences. And so I just encourage you to see the, them as differences, but not one's better than another. Julie is different. She is different from us, but she's not better or worse. I always thought of it initially that this is what it would be like for me. She has her right hand, but no left. So it would be like me trying to do things one-handed. It's not like that for her. Because she's never had this hand, she's not missing it like we would be. And she has this arm, and she does all kinds of stuff with that that we can't, I can't even figure out. So, accept who your children are and and see the differences in them and other children as differences, not better or worse. Um, and don't, uh, oh, uh, encourage them. Encourage, encourage, follow their leads and be optimistic. She was always optimistic, you know, bringing me that nutcracker thing out of the, from the National Ballet, out of the newspaper, I would have never looked at that and thought, she can do that. I, I just didn't know. But she was optimistic, and then I needed to be as well, and encourage them with what is important to them. Uh, but, and don't be too serious. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite Julie stories is for Halloween one year. <clears throat> I'm not very creative, that's just not one of the tools God gave me, but um, she decided she was going to be an army man. From the time she was five months old, she got prosthesis, and we recycled the, the mechanical ones, but the passive ones that didn't move, she has all these arms, because they only last like a year and a half, and then you grow and you got to get a new one. So she has all these arms. So when she was nine, she decided she would be an army man, and she dressed in fatigues and then uh, taped all of her prosthesis arms all over her. Yeah, she wasn't too serious. Or the time, <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> um, and one year, I love this, it was at Otter, Tree, Otter Creek Camp. She was in fourth grade. And um, I was a craft lady at the time, and we always wear these little, you know, belts, the pockets where you can put stuff. And uh, we had a new minister, uh, Israel Rodriguez. He was not here for long. Maybe Julie scared him off. She had a mechanical hand that went like this. And so we put a piece of mail that had come for Israel in her hand and stuck her hand in my pouch and Julie and I went up to Israel and said, Israel, uh, there's a piece of mail for you and I just kind of, you know, stuck my 
passed out like that and anyway scared him to death <laughs> scared him to death I guess maybe he was very new and hadn't noticed that Julie because she wore a prosthesis I don't think that was the first thing people noticed about her I will say she doesn't wear her prosthesis anymore um, I don't look at that as a failure I'm not sad about that I think it's I think it's it helped her uh, she has her own reasons for not wearing it now and that's just who she is and that's great um, okay we don't have much time left pray um, another fabulous example from from scripture is Jesus praying remember right at the end think about what he went through at the end of his life far greater than anything any of us will ever experience much more challenging and I believe he he was ready for that and he handled that not because he was God because at that time he was completely human 100% human he was able to face that challenge and that pain and that sorrow because he was prayed up he prayed so hard that his sweat came out as blood he prayed and was prepared because he had prayed so that's the best thing you can do for your children is to pray for them and let them know that you pray for them it wasn't a secret Jesus told his disciples y'all stay here and pray I'm gonna go here and pray he let them know let your children know let them see you praying for them and lastly just be humble if your child is the perfect child you probably just have one still so there's time your child might be easy to parent it's not because you're the best parent around it's just because that's how God made that particular child and chances are if you have two or three you're gonna get one that's not nearly that easy and that shows you you're not the best parent around we're all just doing what we can our kids come the way we come so you cannot you can't take credit for how great they are because God gets all the credit for that um, time goes really fast Gail I'm so sorry um, does anybody have questions or anything that you would I mentioned that she doesn't wear her prosthesis anymore she was a sophomore she, and she wore it every day like I remember the time we came to church and you know like you forget your kids shoes well she forgot her arm and she insisted that her daddy go home and get it because she was so uncomfortable now you know she just wanted her arm she put it on every morning took it off every night that's just what you do um, she was a sophomore in college when she tried for the first time dancing without it and loved that experience so that led to now she doesn't wear it at all except um, except when she rides her bike because she needs that stability and let me tell you she's got a really pretty prosthesis some of those pictures you might could see it in she um, it, it was specially made for her it's a mirror image of her right hand and it was hand painted inside anyway it's really cool but she has chosen not to and we're we're, we're good with that 
it's a lot easier not to have to get one every few years. So, y'all are a great class. Our thank you. Thank you. Uh, dear God, thank you for this wonderful example of acceptance, uh, working uh, in all the ways to make things as well as they could be. I thank you for the wonderful young woman that Julie is, and I thank you for Janet's willingness to share. Uh, that God bless us this week. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wonderful. Oh, thank you. Um,